Welcome to Call Your Girlfriend, a podcast for long-distance besties everywhere. I'm Aminatu So. And I'm Ann Friedman. Hi, Ann Friedman. Hi, Aminatu So. I am very excited about today's episode. Tell me more. You know how sometimes we're like, wow, this seems like a hard thing. We keep running in circles. Maybe we should talk to an expert. That is what today's episode is. Us talking to an expert. Ooh, tell me who. Who did you talk to? Our friend, Maisha Battle, who is a... Yes! I know. (laughs) I'm genuinely surprised and excited about this. So that's how unprepared I come to call your girlfriend. But this is very exciting. Well, listen, we were having a conversation about all of the kind of consent and communication and boundary norms around COVID. Like for me, I am obviously reading lots of stuff about like, you know, the vaccine and when might we get one and what's going on with epidemiologists and what do they suggest and what are the terms of like the new lockdown in California? Like I'm reading all that stuff. But really, when I think about my day-to-day lived experience in this pandemic, a lot of it has to do with navigating boundaries and communication with people in my community, both like my friends and in kind of like the the broader community in which I live and how we are all making different choices based on our lives and our needs and our opinions, actually. And it's really, really hard to to do that, to make your own set of choices, set your own boundaries, and then also be in community with people who are on their own path and journey with doing that. And so Maisha, who is someone who has a ton of experience in helping people set, navigate, and maintain boundaries and healthy communication in their sex and dating relationships, seemed like the perfect person to talk to about this aspect of the pandemic. This is going to be so good. I'm very excited to listen in. Yeah, here's Maisha. Maisha, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me back. Uh, We are all in a swirling stew of like boundaries and communication issues and safety and comfort and all the while um, really trying to figure out what it means to stay close to the people we want to stay close to or maybe get close to some new people um, in this time when all of that is so fraught. And so I'm really happy to be talking to you today about all of that. Yeah, it is kind of a a quagmire situation. And every single person right now has their view of what safety is and what their health means to them um, and what boundaries need to be in place. So yes, it's an opportunity right now to flex those communication muscles. And it's not easy, but I think people are are learning some valuable lessons now that they can use later on in life too. So I want to start with maybe something that is kind of specific to the work that you do, which is helping people be really fulfilled in their sex and dating lives. And I'm wondering what you're hearing from your clients right now about things that are particular to this moment and whether there is 
something that you find yourself just repeating over and over, <laughs> regardless of the the dilemma they're talking to you about? Yes. I mean, the first thing that comes up for me is that I'm giving a lot of permission for people to date with their values. Um, and, and that means that they can for sure stop chatting with people who don't support uh, anti-racism, who are, and I think that's a particular aspect of this moment that applies to dating. And it's not COVID related, but I do think it is about enforcing boundaries and also being very selective with the people with whom you're deciding to connect with. And that's new. I think that what people are asking for on the front end of dating is a lot more extensive. So there's that piece. And then I have clients for whom dating right now actually does present a lot of health challenges. Mm. And so they've opted out, you know, they're like, I'm going to sit this one out because it's, it's too much of a risk for me. I don't know how to manage my boundaries around this safely in a way that this process is going to make sense for me and feel fun because ultimately at the end of the day, you know, you want to be making connections that make what we're all going through better and feel lighter. And dating is an opportunity to get that. But if it feels like adding another human and their whole like, you know, puzzle box of, you know, people <laughs> that they have like put together, like trying to manage that into your life feels overwhelming, then don't do it. And then there's another group that is really actively looking for that connection and then figuring out along the way how to implement those checkpoints of safety. So that might look like spending more time in virtual space, chatting and then moving conversations to text or video chat dates and that process kind of getting prolonged before each person understands what their relative risks are. So I'm a big advocate of, you know, encouraging my clients to take educated risks. You never want to just get so excited that you're <laughs> jumping at, you know, the opportunity to meet up with someone, even for a socially distanced walk. Um, you really want to understand what that ecosystem that that person has been living in looks like and feels like and what obligations are they trying to honor and how can you set up a date that honors both of your obligations to your health? Oh, and, you know, I don't mean to collapse all kinds of relationships and interactions right now, but, you know, I'm not someone who is dating. And when I hear you say that, I'm like, that all sounds like my life too. You know, like that sounds mm. really very relatable of like what kinds of inter interactions are maybe um, on the far end of my comfort zone, but feel necessary, like in a harm reduction way. You know, like one example that comes to mind is I have a friend who lives alone, who was having a really hard time during election week, as like many, many people were like, what a stressful and anxiety provoking time. And she and I went for a walk and I could just see she was struggling and I, I just gave her a hug. I just like had to. And we were both mm -hmm. hugged or we were both hugged. We, we were, but we were both masked. <laughs> we were standing outside. It felt like, yeah, this is a violation. Like I have not done this like for anyone I'm not sharing a household with or with them. But it felt like I had to do it. Like it felt like there was like an emotional kind of harm reduction. And I think... Um, I would love to hear your take on on whether and how to have compassion for ourselves when we, you know, think we have a set 
of boundaries about what we're doing. And then the moment presents itself and maybe we make a different choice. Yes. Well, I mean, what you have touched upon is so good because I think of dating as a way to reduce harm, um, mental health harm. Um, we see that social isolation has negative mental health effects across the board. And we are in, you know, a, a, a pandemic within a pandemic um, of lonely, loneliness and isolation. So it's hard for me because I see that there is judgment out there of people who date, for instance. People think of that as a very... Um, non-essential, <laughs> perhaps, mm-hmm. or frivolous activity. But I love how you were like, yeah, this just sounds like my life. Yes, it's true. You know, we're <laughs> all, you know, we're all just trying to find that connection. And I have two friends that I have seen. I have like a, a you know, maybe five people that I have seen in the last nine months or so that I do socially distance walks with and two, two of whom I have hugged. And you know, those those decisions felt, as you described, very necessary for our connection at the time and just um, also so affirming of our connection and the the need to show physically that we were on each other's level (laughs) and it was weird. I'm going to tell you that, like, yeah, it was it was a weird experience to sort of open that up especially after so long but it was it was necessary and I do think that when you're taking these educated risks like hugging with mask on with your face turned in opposite directions and not holding that for too long um, you know it's okay I think even I had judgments of people and as we're learning more about the higher risks uh, higher risk activities versus the lower risk activities. Actually, a hug to me is not falling into those higher risk activities with a mask on. Um, so I have been right that, outdoor hug. Yeah, outdoor <laughs> hug with mask on. And so it's it's funny because I've I've even had to shift my sort of controlling and judgmental nature <laughs> when I'm like out in public and taking my walk. Um, and I see people who have taken different routes uh, and, and, you know, not, not worn mask outside. And now I was just reading the New York Times and they're like, not wearing a mask when you're out for a walk if you are socially distanced and, you know, more than six feet away from people is fine. Um, and I'm like, oh, okay. I guess I can take back all of those, like, mean mugs that I was giving people. <laughs> um, you know, like, I'm, I'm guilty of it too, but I think that, like, Every single person right now has been called to figure out what feels right for them, and it requires a lot of communication. I would not have hugged those people if I did not feel that we were very much aligned in the ways we were taking care of ourselves and our partners or families. So these are people that I have a deep level of trust with. I have to add that to Yeah, let's talk about that alignment, because I think one thing that I have really learned this year is that shorthands, like, um, we're being super careful, too, or like, we haven't seen anyone, or I, I have, I've been so distant, you know, phrases like that really do mean different things to different people, even people who I'm very values connected with, you know, we, we all care about doing everything we can do to keep ourselves and our community safe. 
But at the end of the day, like that might mean really different things about um, how the specifics of like, you know, coming inside to use the bathroom if we're hanging out outside someone's house, for example, you know, (laughs) or like, like, Mm -hmm. like eating food prepared by someone else or doing takeout or, you know, there's just a, a lot of little examples of places where, yes, we share values and yes, like we are aligned in how we're living generally but I have been surprised a lot by like small choices or things that tend to crop up and you know nothing nothing huge like I'm not friends with anyone who's like going to an indoor you know church service or something like that without a mask um uh those are my relatives not my not my immediate friends (laughs) right but um but yeah I'm 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 wondering about your advice for actually getting confirmation that you might be on the same page about how you're living not just your values but like the choices you're making yeah I mean I talk about my choices all the time and so even when uh you know recently I developed sort of cold symptoms that to me registered as like an inner ear infection and I was like recounting the story to people um, because the the nurse who was you know on the the call line was basically like you either have a mild cold or you have mild covid like just literally after 30 seconds of talking to me and so i'm telling people um hey this is what i do like i go for a walk with a mask on um, every single day i go to the walgreens which is at the end of my block and I go to Safeway um, for groceries. That's the extent of my social interaction and has been pretty much since the summer. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I have a partner who works in food service, but he is not, uh, you know, he doesn't have any symptoms. So, you know, I'm sort of somebody who's just like, where's the COVID? Like, you know, (laughs) where's the COVID in this situation? Um, So when I was describing that to to a friend, they were like, listen, if you had COVID, I'd be really worried for myself because what you just described is exactly how I go about life. And like, those are the precautions that I'm taking. So I'd be really freaked out right now if you had COVID. So it's things like that. Like, I volunteer almost TMI because I want to invite the conversation for people to tell me what they're doing. It's a little sly, like, coachy trick (laughs) where I'm like, I'm like, oh, you know, I'm doing this. And like, I always have my hand sanitizer or like we rented a zip car and I like wiped the entire thing down and drove around with our mask on and the windows down, you know, that kind of thing where I'm very explicit. And that's the kind of explicit question asking that I am 100% comfortable doing when uh, making plans with anyone to see them. So, you know, I've even had friends who say, do you want to go on a socially distanced walk for one hour around your neighborhood? I'm like, yes, you come to me, I meet you, we are six feet apart, that is the rule, you know? And there are definitely exceptions where maybe the plan changes in the middle, um, but that is only after a discussion of what people are comfortable with. And so your example of do you do you need to come in and use my, my bathroom, that is something that I have offered people and they can say yes or no to that based on their relative comfort with it. And it, it's been the same for me. I've hung out with people in their neighborhood and they've been like, you know, if you need to, you can use my restroom. I'm okay with that. Um, and so that offer gets a little bit of conversation. Again, at that point, if we're already hanging out, we will have already had a conversation about our relative risk exposure. 
And, you know, that's kind of the best we can do is use our words. You know, this this stuff is um, is complicated. And what what one person means when they say we're being careful, when their circumstances are completely different, perhaps they're not immunocompromised, perhaps they don't have um, a relative who is immunocompromised or a partner who's immunocompromised living in the household with them. But you do. So you need to understand what their risk exposure is so that you can make an educated risk assessment. This is the public health person in me coming out. <laughs> <Hello>. <laughs> this is my health educator. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm so fucking grateful for my microbiology class and my uh, epidemiology class in college. Like, I... I am thriving because I understand how these things work and it has empowered me to have these conversations because I'm like, look, this, we're not joking. We're not fooling around here. This thing is killing people. And we all have different levels of exposure and different risk that we're willing to take on. So we have to talk about that. And it's, you know, it's funny you bring up, um, you know, science, because one reason why we wanted to talk to you and not like an epidemiologist is because what we understand about safety is evolving and what everyone's personal safety needs are, are also evolving. And so like, for me, the real skill is not how do I acquire the latest science about what's happening with this pandemic. For me, it's more about how do I adapt myself as I get new information and how do I react to the people I'm in community with about what they need. And I'm wondering if you have thoughts about that agility or flexibility that each of us needs as well, because that's a part of this, right? Like we need to set boundaries for our own safety and those of the community that we're in. But also, like, things are changing. Like, things feel really, really different in terms of the info we have now than they did in, say, March and April. Yes. I worry for those people who have latched on to whatever they learned in March and April and are living by the same standards. Um, Because I don't think they would be very, like, mentally well Mm. right now. (laughs) I think they would be very anxious um, and, and not adapting, like you said, to the changing information that we had before surfaces were a really big concern and they're just not anymore um this is this is the science and this is how we learn how to make adjustments to keep ourselves well both mentally and physically is by understanding okay like we're science is doing the best scientists are doing their best to give us information about how this disease is acting and evolving because that's exactly what they do. That's how they survive and it will evolve. And we too have to evolve with it. Um, So this new information that we get has to be incorporated into the day to day. And again, this is stuff that like I geek out on and love to talk about. So I'm like, oh, did you know that like we thought this, but now it's that. Like, it's exciting <laughs> for me, um, you know, as weird as that sounds, but it is. It's like, it's interesting to me and therefore also helpful for me to feel like I am making, for lack of a better term, empowered choices, you know, that I'm not just sort of like subject to my own fears and anxieties about this, but that I am 
taking in information, processing it, and, and using it to the best of my ability to take care of myself. And that feels very empowering. This is perhaps very different for you and me. Um, you know, you're in the Bay Area and I am in Los Angeles than it is for people who might be living in an environment where like the kind of broader social culture is less interested in defining safety the way that they are. You know, I mean, I think about my parents who are in Iowa and they kind of are always middle of the rotors. Like, you know, if, if our more liberal friends are doing X and our more conservative friends are doing Y, we're going to occupy the middle and that's the safe place. And it's like, that's not really how science works or politics, let's be real. Um, <laughs> but, you know, they're living in this environment where they're kind of calibrating based on these two differing opinions, maybe, or differing camps of how to what is safety right now. And one thing I've been thinking about a lot is the way that our social group are the city we're in the kind of culture that we're steeped in affects um, maybe what we think is safe and also how easy it is for us to assert what um, safety looks like for us and based on your experience and maybe counseling people on having to communicate boundaries that might not be understood right away like the importance of them or having to kind of breach a gap when they when they describe what they need from a relationship or an interaction do you have advice for people who are dealing with those who aren't saying, oh, yeah, we're being careful, too, and, and people who are maybe a little bit further from where you're at? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I actually had not thought about this theory that is a kind of um, a very interesting sociological theory until this morning when I was thinking about our conversation. And it's called terror management theory. Essentially, the idea is when you raise people's awareness of their own mortality, they tend to act more in alignment with their in-group. And we have seen this throughout our country. We already had a very divided population. And the awareness of our mortality, the mortality of our loved ones, our, the mortality of our community has been raised to such a high degree that I think people are making choices that they feel are in their own interest of survival and their group's interest in survival. So we have to kind of understand mm. that, which is difficult to understand because survival means different things for different people. To share, my mom lives in Traverse City, Michigan, and we were talking about how they've actually been closed for outdoor dining and indoor dining for over a week or so, I believe, and San Francisco has just implemented that as of today. But there were restaurants that all banded together and said, we're not closing. We're going to be open. You guys can come. We, we want you here. And so their mode of survival is their business. You know, so many people's mode of survival is keeping their financial security alive. That's the survival. And it's interesting to be in a position right now to be trying to understand why someone would take risk during a time when so many people are 
getting infected and getting hospitalized. But I turn to the psychology and the soci sociology of this moment um, to sort of understand that we're all in fear mode and fear does different things to mm -hmm. different people. And fear combined with lack of real, like basic health education that we all get, you know, I don't think a lot of people understand regular like disease transmission modes and, and, and histories of this. I mean, plagues are nothing new, right? We, most of us <laughs> read about them from a very young age, but I, I don't think there's this internalization of what that means in today's context. And so it's hard. Well, all that is to say it is very difficult to have conversations with people who have a different understanding of what this moment is. And all you can do is speak to what you're doing, and that will give you a lot of information. Because if you're telling your cousin, hey, you know, I want to see you and your kids, um, here's what we're doing over here. Like, you know, I make sure that uh, when we meet up with people, the kids actually, ha they play separately. We do parallel play and we're all in mask. And, you know, we're making sure that if they touch any surfaces, we're, we're hand sanitizing them and we eat separately. Is that okay with you? I mean, you will be able to register on their face whether or not they think you're crazy. <laughs> um, and that you're taking too many precautions. <laughs> and you could say, you know, if, if that doesn't sound like a fun hang for you, uh, that's okay. You know, I think we can organize a Zoom call. So this is the part where I think we have to use all of ourselves. You know, we have to use our compassion. We have to use our understanding of our own risk. We have to use our communication skills. And we have to use that you know, uh, negotiation power too, to get to a place where we can still maintain connection, but do it in a health and safe, safe way. And that is not always easy with people who think that we're taking things too seriously, or we're not taking things seriously enough. You know, my kind of general rule mm -hmm. of thumb for hanging out with people is if this seems like it's not going to be like uh, a relief to both of us, let's not do it. Oh, that's such a good barometer. Yeah. If this isn't going to feel good and restorative for everybody involved because of what we're deciding we're going to do to stay safe, let's not do it. Let's postpone this until we can do something where, we, where everyone is on the same page of how we can engage with one another. Mm, I love that. I mean, I've really been trying to practice you know, with friends who, I mean, because there are people in my life who are outside my, like, you know, very most inner circle who I haven't seen all year, you know, people who I would normally, um, you know, you're like three times a year party friends, <laughs> um, yes. who I love and adore, but who are not that kind of like direct and immediate connection who I'm relying on day to day. And as we get deeper into this, and I think about maybe trying to see some of those people distantly, I have been really thinking about like, putting very much up front in the invitation, not like, hey, do you want to do an outside hang or a walk? But like saying, hi, like, how would you feel about non-masked walk for 30 minutes? Like, and then, you know, sitting in the park six feet apart for whatever, you know, being very precise about like yes. what I am inviting someone to do. And then that allows them, because we haven't been in daily contact to 
calibrate themselves and kind of be like, actually, I'm not seeing anyone and this is wild. So no, <laughs> or, yeah. or to say like, okay, like, I guess you're being more careful than I am. And I'm, or, or more concerned about certain things than I am. And I will take that under advisement. Exactly. Then you get to have that back and forth. I mean, I've definitely had dear friends who were like, I'll pick you up and like, we can go for a hike. And I'm like, actually, I'd love for you to meet me in my neighborhood because I don't have a car. So people who have cars, you come to me, we can walk. There's lots of hills, you know, <laughs> that's fine. But yeah, I've, I was very uncomfortable being in, in cars with people that I didn't share airspace with in my home at the beginning of this. And now, you know, I've taken maybe three lifts for kind of, you know, business purposes and that's been okay. Um, I don't know. It's just, it's one of those things where I'm constantly having a conversation with myself about what I'm, what I'm getting myself into (laughs) and, you know, trying to do my best to like lovingly communicate that to whoever is involved. Like, I want to see you. I obviously want to see you, but I don't want to get in a car with you, you know? Um, and here's my counter offer. And these are basically the cornerstones of consent conversations that we, we talk about in the sexology world, right? You know, I'd love to cuddle with you, but I, I'm not down for anything sexual tonight. <laughs> you know, um, here's my boundary and like, oh, well, I, I don't really want to cuddle, but perhaps we can sit on the couch and hold hands, that sort of thing. You know, it's like, really engaging in the minutia of like what is okay here and then in the moment being able to adjust Mm. you know because you have to pee and it's like (laughs) I gotta go to the bathroom and you're offering me a bathroom okay I'll just wash my hands really thoroughly and use hand sanitizer and like yeah it's rough um Let's talk about judgment a little bit, because I think Mm. a friend of mine texted a group chat that we're on and basically was like, what is one thing that you have judged someone for in, in this pandemic? And what's one thing you felt super judged for? And it really got me thinking about like that aspect of things and also self-judgment. You know, there's also now a lot of things I've read where people get a positive COVID diagnosis and have a lot of self-judgment about like, what did I do wrong or how was I unsafe or, and, um, and I'm wondering about your advice for navigating and diffusing judgment of ourselves and others right now. Okay. But first, should we do this? (laughs) You've already heard what, what I judge people for, which is, you know, not wearing masks outside when they go for walks which now apparently according to the new york times is totally fine (laughs) as long as you're (laughs) as long as you're you know more than six feet away and what's something Um, you have felt judged for i went to a friend's pop-up uh he and a group of friends took over a bar space that decided to not open during the pandemic to not stay open. And so they basically created a business that operated from this space. And I went there for outdoor dining. And it's not that I felt judged. I made that call because I wanted to support my friend. This is something that that I've even toyed around with, like going into business with him because I fucking love him so much Mm -hmm. and want him to succeed. And it turns out that this pop-up was like featured in the SF Chronicle, like, you know, that like, People are taking advantage of, of this moment and, and banding together and creating things. Um, and I love his food and I love his choice in wine. And I, I went, but I was like, 
really worried about like posting anything about it. I think that was in a time when I, I, I did have more judgment about just people who dine out in general. And that was one of two times that I've eaten at a restaurant, like done outdoor dining during this time. So yeah, I, I carried a little guilt with me of like even going out to like support a friend right now, mm-hmm. you know? And that's, that's, that sucks, but it's like, yeah, I was, uh, I don't know, people were walking by and I was worried they were like, ah, fucking yuppies out, you know, whatever. <laughs> that's, that's my own shit. <laughs> yeah, I think I have experienced, um, I have experienced some judgment around things like that too, of like, this is not essential, nor does it even feel emotionally essential, like in the sense of like, you know, me describing hugging a friend that felt essential, but in a different way. I'm talking about like, times I have gone to a store that is not a grocery store, that is not a drug store. With a mask on, not doing like outdoor dining, um, but, you know, just the idea of like I'm inhabiting a physical space I don't really need to be inhabiting right now. Um, Yeah. You know, and I think there is like a minor pleasure reward of that of like, oh, yeah, like my old life where I was kind of a body in the world (laughs) as opposed to like a human on a screen um, or a a two dimensional human on a screen. I think I definitely have had some self-judgment about that. I've been to one estate sale in this pandemic. It was like relatively empty and I don't feel it was a huge risk, but I definitely judged myself of like, hey, I'm probably supporting something that doesn't need to be happening right now in person. Um, And I have more Mm -hmm. complex feelings about outdoor dining because obviously like these are businesses I really want to survive. These are workers who I really want to survive. You know, it gets, it gets a lot more complex when I pull the lens out and think about this greater economic and livelihood picture and not just my personal health. Yes. It's funny because as you say that and having a partner who works in food service and a lot of his community does too, I wish that all of us who had like overly cautious feelings about outdoor dining (laughs) actually did more outdoor (laughs) dining and those who were like, fuck it, like I need to feel human and like get wasted in public again. Like I wish those people just didn't. Because one of the one of the friends that we actually ran into on a walk in our neighborhood, he like lives in the neighborhood, so he was in his garage with his wife, and we were on the sidewalk, <laughs> uh, kind of yelling at each other. He just had uh, the spot that he was working at close, and so he's kind of evaluating what his options are, like close permanently. Mm. And he was like, you know, this this whole experience has made me have so much like hope for humanity Hmm. but I fucking hate people (laughs) (laughs) so yeah I mean that kind of sums up how I feel about outdoor dining too like oh it's just it's a lot um but yeah I think to answer your question about (sighs) this judgment you know I, I think there's not much we can do except acknowledge that it is a part of this, you know? Mm. Humans are judgy, you know? Like, we look to see what other people have, what they don't have, what they're doing, what they're not doing. Social media is a clusterfuck of judgment, um, just like an Ouroboros of judgment, you know? Like, and, and right now, that it has become a major mode of connection for people who aren't seeing other people very much and you know we take our norm cues from what we see 
So if you're in an area where people aren't wearing that many masks, I'm watching um, a bunch of reality TV that takes place across the country and they're just now airing shows mm. that take place during the pandemic. So I'm like, wow, okay. Like in these like Southern states, people were out at restaurants not wearing masks at the early stages of the pandemic. Interesting. Um, we didn't do it that way. But like, yeah, it's 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 interesting to sort of check that vibe that you're that you're getting like that that judgment vibe of like well the these folks who were in charge <laughs> decided that this was the risk that they wanted to expose their group to and this is how it looked and felt for these people and our governing bodies over here in California felt differently and this is how they did it and you know like we can we can talk about what it would have looked like to have any type of organized response to this thing would have been great but that's not what we had you know um so that's where we're going to see a lot of judgment come up and unfortunately that's also where we're going to see a lot of division um in who's doing what and why and there's always um you know in this country a political allegiance that seems to indicate why people are doing certain behaviors and why they're not. Mm. And um, that becomes even more of a reason to criticize right now, right? Mm. I find myself thinking about what you were saying earlier about everyone feeling like they're in mortal fear and judgment being such a natural response to that you know it's kind of like watching a movie where some disaster unfolds or like a horror movie where you're like I wouldn't walk in that basement I would definitely be smarter than that and then in real time (laughs) things are things are very different and so I'm also thinking a lot about how the compounded traumas of this year and of this pandemic may have made it more difficult for some people who are dealing with personal traumas or things in their past or their history And um, I know this is something that, you know, you deal with a lot with your clients about working through things that may be traumatic in their past as they move forward in their sex and dating lives. And I'm just wondering if you have thoughts about some skills or maybe some ways to find compassion or a path through some of those issues. Yes, absolutely. That's an excellent question. I, at the beginning of the pandemic, Uh, was invited to join like a 21-day Deepak Chopra meditation group. And um, I kind of did it begrudgingly. And um, I really liked it. And uh, part of the exercise was that you create your own group. And so I, I looped my family in on this. I was like, my mom is kind of into meditation, a couple of my aunts. So I created a group with them and we did, I think, maybe a 14 day together. And now they like have been doing these for the entire time. And I'm just like looping back in with them to do a 21 day one for the, the holidays. And a lot of my work with clients is is helping them to find ways to be more mindful and more present because this moment right now is highlighting a lot of anxiety for people. Mm. If you're already predisposed to anxiety and depression, which a lot of us are, um, it is heightening everything. And anxiety is 
sort of generally described as like, you know, worrying about the future, worrying about events that are kind of beyond your control. And there's a lot that is beyond our control right now. 100% of things. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like 99. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. 99% of things are completely out of our control and highlighted as such in a way that has not been that. I I feel like a lot of people went through the world with feeling like they had a lot of control over their lives and this is this is showing us maybe not so much which is scary um depression tends to be more about or linked with ruminations on the past you know things we could have done differently or you know behaviors that um we wish we we hadn't done that have led to where we are now and um just you know lamentation and there's something so jarring to this to the system to the body about rooting into the moment um and it's it's a difficult practice but mindfulness helps you to do that um and i think this is a practice that can it's free number one anybody can do it um i've been practicing mindfulness in various forms for several years and i'm not like a a quote-unquote meditator, but I do meditate. Um, my th- my therapist thinks I should meditate more, and she's right. I should. <laughs> so that's why I've joined these these kind of groups that help you to sort of stay on track and commit to it. And you know, I have a Headspace account too that I use kind of um, you know when needed. They have great like crisis moment meditations that I use when I'm a bit overwhelmed and in sort of like panic mode, which can happen and has happened quite frequently in my house. (laughs) And so, yeah, this is like also a way to get out of judgment. Honestly, Um, there is something about connecting to yourself as an entity here and now that also offers some compassion and understanding to the fact that everyone is just in this cycle with you. You know, everyone is doing what they're doing because of their, um, you know, predisposition to this moment and then living under the conditions that they have. And as we know, if you are a person of color, if you are black specifically, this moment has been incredibly hard and I I offer that to anyone who you know is struggling in this moment to find a mindfulness practice that works for you and to meditate as much as you can to try to gain that sort of sense that like we're here we're still here (laughs) we're still fucking here you know and there are those of us who are not here and you know what do we do with that You know, that's the next question, and that'll be revealed in the next phase of this as we do get a vaccine out to people and people start to feel that sense of safety again. But until that point, we need to maintain. We need to be, you know, sort of like getting as many tools as we can to manage what's going on because it's a lot for most of us, and it's even more for those of us who are Black period. Right. These 
big forces that you're describing or like these factors that you're describing are not um, like disappearing in the new year and are not disappearing um, even when like the first people start getting a vaccine like this is this is our lives these are our questions and like we're going to need these coping mechanisms probably indefinitely yeah I think coping mechanisms that's a great way to put it when I say maintain I don't mean like stay composed I mean (laughs) You know, because I don't think that's unreasonable. Right. It's just to maintain to me means like to to keep ourselves in a state where we are capable of connecting and, you know, taking care of ourselves to the best of our ability so that we can take care of the ones we love around us, too. What a beautiful note to end on. Maisha, thank you so much. Oh, thank you. This is great. I love talking to you. (laughs) I love talking to you. This is my meditation for the day. (laughs) Oh, Maisha, so, so, so good and so relevant and just so um, affirming. I am really glad that you got to talk to her. Yeah, she is really the best. You can find her on her website, maishabattle.com. That's M-Y-I-S-H-A-B-A-T-T-L-E.com. She has a podcast called Dating White. The first season is out now, and the second season is forthcoming. Um, And you can also find her on Instagram and all your social media places because she is great at answering questions and being in communication about her own work. So if you have like real-time you know, questions that I didn't ask in my conversation with her. She is very accessible and brilliant. I will see you on the internet, boo-boo. See you on the internet. That fits well within my boundaries. We love boundaries. You can find us many places on the internet, callyourgirlfriend.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. We're on all your favorite platforms. Subscribe, rate, review. You know the drill. You can call us back. You can leave a voicemail at 714-681-2943. That's 714-681-CYGF. You can email us, callyrgf at gmail.com. Our theme song is by Robin. Original music composed by Carolyn Pennypacker Riggs. Our logos are by Kanisha Sneed. We're on Instagram and Twitter at callyrgf. Our producer is Jordan Bailey, and this podcast is produced by Gina Delbeck.